This is a CBC Podcast. Greetings, humans. This is Ty. Okay, so season four of Ty Asks Why is still in the works, coming to you sometime in the new year. But I just had to jump into your podcast feeds with some super important breaking news. It's like a major world event happening, and I wanted to talk to you guys about it because it has to do with one of my favorite topics. As you know, I'm a bit of a space guy. I love reading about space. I love looking at pictures of things in space. You know, star clusters, nebulas, galaxies, those sorts of things. But recently, I was browsing for a desktop background, and I saw this one really cool image of a spiral galaxy, a white cloud swirling around a bunch of sparkling stars thousands of light years away, and it dawned on me, how did they get this picture? So I got on my computer, and I learned that it came from a telescope called Hubble. Now, Hubble launched in 1990, which is way before I was born, but it's still out there, flying around the Earth, taking pictures of the deep universe. And get this, since it launched, it has made over a million observations. That is quite a lot of space pictures. But it's over 30 years old. I know that's not that old, or at least that's what my parents would say, but that's still pretty old when it comes to technology. So the folks at NASA thought, you know, let's just launch something bigger, something better, and something with all the latest and greatest tech on board. Enter the James Webb Space Telescope. Bum bum bum. It's going to launch pretty much any day now. It's the largest, most powerful space telescope ever built. And its sun shield alone is the size of a tennis court. Just imagine all the cool things this machine's going to be able to see and do. But why imagine it when I can find out for myself? So I decided to call up NASA. You know, no biggie. They're in my contact list. I'm pretty cool about it. I'm kidding. It's NASA. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just It's kind of a big deal. I, uh, I never get over it. So I called up Dr. Naomi Rogerney. She's a James Webb Space Telescope postdoctoral researcher with the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center and Howard University. Hey, Naomi, thanks so much for being on my little show. Thank you. Thanks for the introduction. I'm so glad to have you on here, and I'm super excited to talk about the James Webb Telescope. Me too. It is the coolest telescope out there. Now, what makes the James Webb Space Telescope so special? It's massive. That's that's the most exciting part of it. It is, like, huge. So it, the mirror itself is, like, 6.5 meters in diameter, which, if you want to imagine it, it's, like, three stories of a building. That's just the mirror. That's, like, four ties. Yeah, that's a lot. It's huge. It's probably the most ambitious thing that we've done since... The moon landings, I would say. That's crazy. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Now, why does it need to go to space in the first place? Why can't we just have, like, the James Webb 
on-Earth telescope. Well, technically, we already have that telescope. I mean, the ones in Hawaii, like VLT, the very large telescope that's in Chile, there's already those kinds of telescopes, but we never had one this big in space. And the, the fact that it's in space means that we can do extra things because when you're on Earth, the atmosphere is in the way. And that causes all sorts of problems, especially when detecting things like water that are really prevalent in the atmosphere. So water, obviously, we want to be able to see it on other planets um, to kind of look for these signs of life, these biosignatures. And those things are already in our atmosphere. So if we can't look through that stuff, then it becomes a problem. It kind of gets in the way. So getting away from it means that we can look at biosignatures on other planets in other solar systems in our galaxy. I see. So it's kind of like how you have a, if you have a telescope in a dusty room, you know, like it'll see a bunch of dust. So why don't we just do it outside? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And that also makes it really difficult to image really small things, really distant things and really dim things. So you keep talking about its size and how it's really big, but how would you fit something like that on a rocket and send it to space? You've basically got to fold it up like origami. It's really quite amazing. If you watch some of the videos on how it unfolds, it, it kind of it makes you sweat a little bit about how much technology has gone into this telescope and how many things have to go right for it to deploy correctly. You're like rolling it up like a sleeping bag and then just like letting it unfold in space. Hopefully we're not stuffing it in the bag, but yeah, we're um, we're, <laughs> we're kind of um, folding it very carefully. So uh, it's got a tennis court sized uh, five layer sunshield. Uh, that's the, the big silver thing around it that looks kind of like an umbrella. And it is kind of like an umbrella. It stops the sun from being able to reach all of the important components of the telescope so that it doesn't get hot in the telescope. And that sunshield itself obviously has to squeeze into an Ariane rocket. They're literally folding it into this rocket and like kind of squeezing it in and then have to somehow unfold it without ripping it and getting holes in it. So where are we sending it? I mean, just not some random place in space, right? Yeah, right. So it needs to be far enough away from the Earth and the Moon that the heat from our planet doesn't affect all of its instruments. Um, so the coldest place we can find that we can also uh, easily communicate with it, basically. So it needs to be at a place called the L2 Lagrange point because it's kind of a gravity well. It means we don't have to use as much fuel to be able to keep it in that position. So if we constantly had to like, spend fuel keeping it next to Earth or in the right position that we can communicate with it, it would take a lot of fuel. And fuel is really, like, it's something that we can't give, give it more of easily, especially when it's at the L2 Lagrange point, because this point is 1.5 million kilometers away. So it's even further than the moon. So about four times the distance that the moon is at. So it's really, really far away. So we can't send anyone to fix it. We can't send anyone to refuel it. So that's why, again, everything has to go right. Huh, so there's this like one little pocket of space where it just very neatly sits in. Yeah, exactly. So 
there are, are actually more of these Lagrange points. Um, there's um, obviously L1, L2, L3, L4. And this one is like the best one for the James Webb because it stays with the Earth. It kind of follows the Earth around the sun. Now, can you tell me of some of the cool gadgets and gizmos that are going to be on board? Uh, yeah, okay. So it has four instruments. They're mostly for spectroscopy and for imaging as well. So both of these things are really important for what it's going to be doing. Uh, so these four instruments, one of them is in the mid-infrared, and that's probably the most exciting one because uh when you split light up into uh, the rainbow, if you go towards the red end, then you get into infrared and that's heat. And then if you go a little bit further into the mid infrared, you get into like the thermal band, which means that we can look through the dust and the gas of like distant uh, nebula and be able to look at how stars are forming in there. And you can look also through the atmospheres of planets and be able to look at what's happening inside those atmospheres and what those atmospheres are made of. It's pretty cool that you have these like heat detecting tech that can sense these kind of things that I don't think humans would ever be able to see otherwise, right? Yeah, it's all outside of the visible range that humans can detect. Uh, so Hubble is mostly uh, visible, so what we can see. So that's why it produces such beautiful pictures that we can kind of recognize. Whereas the pictures that James Webb are going to produce won't be like anything we've ever seen because we can't see in these heat waves. And that's super cool, right? Because Hubble can go take cool pictures for desktop backgrounds, but these can <laughs> get these crazy things that we wouldn't notice before and observe these kind of crazy patterns, right? Yeah, true. But also with Webb, because we can convert these heat waves when we get them in data form, we can convert them into something that we can visualize. Hopefully there'll still be some desktop backgrounds that we can use. I'm waiting for mine. What are some of the other ways that researchers will be able to use the telescope? So there are four main science goals for this telescope. One of them is what we've been talking about, so planets and uh, solar systems. Um, but it's not just our solar system we're looking at, we're also looking at other solar systems. So all of those exoplanets that everyone talks about all the time now, um, we'll be able to actually directly image some of those exoplanets. And we're also going to be able to look at the atmospheres of some of the ones that are Earth-like and uh, rocky planets. So we'll be able to see whether there's water in the atmosphere and whether there's carbon dioxide and methane and other um, potential biosignatures. Another science goal is probably the big one, is first light. And that is the universe is about 13.8 billion years old, they think. Webb is going to be able to look 13.5 billion years into the past. That's pretty good. That's like that's like the universe in its waddling stage. Like that's very far back. Exactly. It's baby universe stage. It's that's why they've called it first light. So it's the first production of galaxies, like formation of galaxies and the first formation of stars. That's so exciting.
Now, your job is to study icy giant planets, which sounds pretty cool, but what does that entail exactly? Yeah, so my job is with the ice giants Uranus and Neptune. So those two planets are our least explored planets in our solar system. So we've been to Jupiter, we've been to uh, Saturn, um, but the other two kind of gas giants that we have are these icy ones that are further away and much colder. And they're also blue, both of them. And um, we don't know much about them because we haven't been. And so we use things like the Spitzer Space Telescope, which is like a tiny James Webb and a Hubble Space Telescope, and all of those telescopes I talked about that are on Earth, we use all of them to be able to look at what's happening in the atmosphere. So how will the new James Webb Telescope help with the exploration of these unknown planets? So the James Webb is going to change how we view these planets. So right now, with the tiny James Webb with Spitzer, I can only see uh, a point of light. So you just get one spectrum. So like a, a little bumpy line that tells you all about what's in the atmosphere. You only get one of those when you look at the planet. Whereas with James Webb, because it's so much bigger, we're able to use something called an IFU, which is an integrated field unit. And it sounds really complicated, but actually it just means that for every pixel in the picture, you get one of these spectrum. So every single pixel will be able to tell us a little bit about the planet. So you'll be able to look at a pixel in a storm and see what that storm is made of, which is really exciting because we've never been able to do this before. That sounds pretty big. That's like making a TV out of TV screens. Like it's just so much yes, bigger. Yes, loads of data. It's called a data cube and each of those pixels, because it has a spectrum inside it, is called a spaxel, which is really exciting. It's it's a pretty sci-fi name, yeah. a spaxel. It sounds just on par for the course for space yeah. stuff. That's super exciting. It's just astronomically better. So let's say it's 10 years into the future, right? I've graduated high school. Heck, I might even have a diploma or two. What do you think this telescope will have discovered? Oh my gosh. Oof. Hopefully a lot of things. <laughs> We're already going to be looking at Uranus and Neptune in the first year of operation. So hopefully the first science that comes from this will be in the next two, two years or so. So in 10 years, who knows what's going to happen? The James Webb is meant to last for, well, it's commissioned to last for five and a half years. But with the amount of fuel it has on board, which is its limiting factor, it can last for 10 years. So in 10 years time, we'll be like decommissioning it and hopefully bringing in the next big thing, which would be even bigger. <laughs> well, I mean, now you've piqued my interest. We're already working on the, the replacement James Webb, the even bigger James Webb. Yeah, yeah, much bigger. It's a combination of two telescopes that is going to be next, um, they think. Um, so something called Louvoir. Louvoir is like a massive James Webb, even bigger than James Webb. And then HabX, and they're going to kind of put them together and make a super telescope. That's crazy. I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll be named like the Naomi Pool Telescope. <laughs> maybe, maybe. 
who knows anything can happen anything can happen well thank you so much for telling me all about this amazing telescope i had a really good time talking to you yeah me too that was Dr. Naomi Rowe Gurney, a postdoctoral researcher with the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center and Howard University. Ty asks why. That's it for now, but we'll be back with season four in the new year. Thanks for joining me on this adventure. I'm Ty Poole. This mini episode was produced by Amanda Buckowitz, and this podcast was created by Veronica Simmons. Graham McDonald is our sound designer. The theme music is by Johnny Spence. Sound engineer is my father, Minuyan, and our location manager is my mom, Nikki Poole. Today, I spoke to Naomi Rogerney. Thanks for talking about sunshields and spaxels with me. SK Robert is our digital producer. Our senior producer is Tina Verma, and the executive producer of CBC Podcasts is Arif Norani. Until next time, I'm Ty. Keep asking why. And waiting for season four, and it's coming, I promise. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.